Thank you for tuning in. Mental health and wellness is a big deal. 90 to 100% of us have been impacted by mental illness and suicide is a much bigger issue in AEC than many of us realize. Our guest today is Mike Glenn, a former professional engineer who's now a vice president at the impressive Lindner Center of Hope in Cincinnati, Ohio. Mike speaks to us about mental health and wellness with the depth and insight you'd expect from a skilled engineer turned passionate advocate and committed educator. Change is happening, but it's not fast enough. And if you're a leader, this is a subject you want to bring to the forefront of your firm if you haven't already. Not only does it make business sense on so many different levels, it's what your employees want, and it's a way that you can directly and proactively help reduce suffering, change, and even save lives. So without any further delay, let's do it. Welcome to AEC Leadership Today, the podcast designed exclusively for engineering, architecture, and construction industry leaders who want to stay relevant and effective. The show takes on the most pressing issues facing the AEC industry and was created to help you and your firm grow and prosper in the 21st century. The host of AEC Leadership Today is Pete Atherton, a professional engineer and former AEC principal and owner turned AEC coach and consultant. And now, take a break from your never-ending to-do list and welcome Peter Atherton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of AEC Leadership Today. Today, we'll be speaking with Mike Glenn, a professional engineer and vice president at the Linder Center of Hope. And we'll be talking about the very important and emerging topic of mental health and wellness in the workplace. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Uh, thanks, Pete. Uh, real excited to uh, be joining you today on the podcast. Uh, just thanks for this opportunity, you know, to, to share my story and talk about, you know, our innovative approach that we've been taking at the Linder Center of Hope uh, to help businesses uh, talk about mental health and understand the impact that it has on everyone. Well, great. I mean, this is just, it's, it's a very important subject. And I think what you're doing is great. And just so the listeners know, I mean, we first connected a, a, several months ago on LinkedIn. And um, not too long ago, I saw that you were presenting at an engineering firm that I was scheduled to, to go meet with a, a few days later. Um, and so I decided to reach out uh, to find out more specifically about what you're doing, um, and then talk about your interest in sharing it on the podcast. So, and we're going to get into that today, but before we do so, can we start with just getting to know you a little bit, um, you know, about you, your career, and what brought you to where you are now at the, the Linder Center of Hope? Yeah, so I am a professional engineer. I actually spent about uh, 16 years in practice between uh, structural engineering firms and construction firms. Uh, 22 all in, if you include uh, my uh, bachelor's and master's degree that, that I got uh, in college. Um, but so, you know, moving into mental health, obviously there's got to be a story uh, behind that. Uh, most people aren't leaving engineering for mental health these days. But um, I grew up in a small uh, town in uh, Wisconsin, uh, central Wisconsin. Both my parents uh, grew up on uh, dairy farms. And so we're these uh, heads, uh, true and true. Um, I knew very early on when I was young, uh, as early as I can remember, that uh, there was something different about my dad, uh, his behavior, and uh, I noticed there was a lot of ups and downs. Uh, my my parents ended up being uh, divorced when I was when I was four, and then ultimately, um, after decades of struggling with mental illness, uh, I lost my father to suicide. And I was only about, uh, I was 11 years old and there was other um, unfortunate uh, events that took place around that time as well. Um, I lost my grandfather. Um, we also had to sell our, our uh, my grandparents' family farm. And so I just dealt with a lot of tragedy as a kid. And so this is, um, you know, throughout the 80s and 90s, no one's talking about mental health. Um, especially in a, a small rural uh, community that I grew up in, uh, we were very limited with resources. Um, you know, farmers just don't talk about, you know, mental illness. And so um, for the next 
25 years or so, I, I just kind of uh, put my head down and like most engineers would do, just got to work. Um, I uh, immersed myself with math and science, you know, through, through school and in, into my, uh, into college. And, um, you know, the first few years out of school, uh, it, it was fine. I mean, I, I got into my engineering, structural engineering, but it just didn't, didn't feel right. Like I felt like something was missing. Um, and so over the course from like 2006 to 2018, I went on this journey uh, to try to figure out what I want to do with my career. Um, and then about six years ago, I finally just felt like I'm supposed to do something with mental health. Um, that, you know, what happened to my father um, provided a lot of empathy and understanding and knowledge around mental health because I, I did a lot of um, research myself. I educated myself. I read books. I, I took a psychology class in high school. And, um, and so I learned, I learned a lot. And I knew that, that the people that are struggling with mental health, they need help. Um, they needed somebody, they, they need people to um, speak for them and advocate for them. And so about five, six years ago, I reached out to the Linner Center. Uh, the Linner Center is one of the largest uh, mental health care centers in the entire country. It's located in a, a northern suburb of Greater Cincinnati uh, in Mason, Ohio. And so I reached out to them um, because uh, the Lindner family uh, in Greater Cincinnati, they're a very influential family. Um, Craig and Francis Lindner, uh, who founded the center, um, have, have, the Lindner family has done a lot for the Greater Cincinnati community. Um, Craig happens to be the uh, co-CEO of American Financial Group, which is a Fortune 500 company. And so they have a lot of influence and they, they started the, the Linner Center of Hope. And so I knew that the, the Linner Center would be a great place because it was you know, well supported um, by the Linners. And so I reached out to them and they got me involved with uh, Touchdown for Hope, which is our annual fundraiser. Um, this is where we have a Super Bowl party every year, and we raise funds for mental health, uh, education, awareness, and we try to help our patients um, at the center. And so I was on the committee, and with each passing year, I just got more and more involved. And one of those years, I ended up uh, chairing um, the event. And when I was uh, chairing the event, I got out in front of a lot of CEOs and presidents. And, you know, we would have really good candid conversations about mental health. I would share my story and I just couldn't believe what ended up happening. Um, just about every person I met with had a story. Um, they were sharing about how they've been impacted, how a friend has been impacted or a neighbor or, or, they had somebody in their office, one of their staff members had a mental illness, and they really could see how much it was impacting them. And that was for the first time in my life, I really, it really hit me that it wasn't just my dad, it wasn't just my family, but people in the community, leaders, CEOs, you know, just about everybody is impacted. Um, I also learned through that experience that these leaders felt helpless. You know, they, they wanted to do something uh, for their employees. They wanted to create an environment which would be empathetic and understanding, be supportive, um, but they just didn't know how to do it. They didn't know how to start those conversations. So, you know, being the engineer that I am, you know, the engineer mindset, you know, I'm a problem solver. Um, I, I basically saw a need. I saw that companies need help with starting that conversation around mental health. Um, and then with my background into business development and building relationships, and then of course with my uh, understanding of mental health and how it impacts uh, an individual, I kind of put all those things together. And ultimately I ended up putting a proposal together for my position at the Linner Center of Hope. 
uh, my position did not exist. Um, and, and my major role uh, at the center is mental health education. Uh, so at the, at the center, we have kind of three core values. It's education, research, and high quality patient care. And so my part is that education piece. Uh, I focus on um, businesses. Probably 90% of my time is, is um, education for mental health with businesses. And then I spend a little bit of time with schools and a little bit of time in, in government. Um, you know, like, like with the government piece, I've, I've met with uh, Ohio's um, senators and representatives in Southwest Ohio. Um, I've spent time in Columbus in our, at our capital meeting with uh, our, our government officials and just trying to advocate for um, their support. So that's uh, kind of the background of you know, how I got involved uh, with the Linner Center. Um, specifically with the Linner Center, uh, like I said earlier, uh, we're one of the, the largest uh, mental health care centers in the country. Uh, we only focus on mental health. Um, that's the only thing we do. Uh, we were um, founded in 2008, but what's interesting, even though in the grand scheme of things, we're, we're, we're young, we've, we've only been around about 12 years, we have seen patients from all 50 states, uh, 10 countries, three continents, uh, Australia, Australia um, uh, Asia, and then of course, all, all throughout North America. So we already have a worldwide uh, reach. Uh, what we're known for is our comprehensive diagnostic assessment. Uh, so uh, folks that have a, a complicated, um, you know, chronic mental illness that they've been dealing with for a long time, they've tried all sorts of treatments, all sorts of options, things aren't working, they come to the center and, and our staff does a really great job of, of breaking things down, trying to figure out exactly what the issue is with the patient getting them on the right treatment, giving them the uh, correct recommendations to, to kind of turn things around and get them well, and of course, give them hope. Um, we're, we're affiliated with UC Health, uh, UC being University of Cincinnati. Um, so a lot of our doctors teach there and do research um, through the university. Uh, we have a research institute. And so what's kind of cool uh, right here in Cincinnati, we have partnered with national leaders such as the Mayo Clinic. Um, there's a, a bipolar biobank that the Mayo Clinic um, has led. And what's uh, really interesting about that is uh, we have helped with, um, through clinical trials, provide data that the, the Mayo Clinic needs um, for this research. And we've helped develop six new medications for bipolar disorder. So really, um, it's, it's, it's really uh, a great um, uh, thing to be a part of that I get to work for an organization that is, is doing national uh, type of uh, efforts when it comes to uh, research. Uh, another thing that I want to point out about the center is that um, we strive to provide continuity of care. Uh, that was one of the things that was really important to the Linner family. Um, they wanted to have a place um, that regardless of a person's um, condition, um, no matter what kind of treatment they need or what type of mil uh, mental illness they have, they can come to the Leonard Center of Hope. Uh, we have all sorts of services, outpatient, inpatient, residential, and kind of everything in between. Um, we also have... Um, uh, TMS and ECT. TMS is transcranial magnetic stimulation, and ECT is electroconvulsive therapy. That is traditionally known as shock therapy. So we have all the latest when it comes to procedures and, and things that can be done to help someone uh, with their mental health. So that gives you kind of an overview of, uh, of, the, of the Linder Center, what we're all about. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, that, um, thank you for sharing the background, your, your background and the background of the Linder Center of Hope, because, I mean, I, you know, as we've spoken before, I mean, mental health is very disjointed, and it seems like the center is putting it all together, not just with the services, but with the research. But I think, you know, overall, what, what you're doing is fantastic. But I first want to say, you know, I'm just so sorry for your loss. 
um, because it, it's horrible and it's traumatic to to deal with with loss um, from suicide. And you know, I I'd love to say it's unimaginable, but for a growing growing group of people, it's not unimaginable. It's just something that people work through, um, as as we've shared. I mean, I, my my family, we, we have been affected by um, the loss of by suicide. And, and I will say it is, it is everything um, traumatic and horrible. And, and we've got to figure out a way to, to talk about mental, mental illness and mental wellness so that we can um, be able to, to help people to walk through this because it's just such a heartbreaking, but it's a reality and we don't talk about uh, mental health. Um, enough. Um, and that's, which is why we're having this conversation. So I appreciate that background. And so as we get into, so how we, we have this sort of epidemic out there, um, which, you know, as we've talked, there's a spectrum um, out there. How, let's just start big picture. How, you, you mentioned you're currently working in schools and government and with businesses, but just big picture. What, um, why is it necessary that we we talk more about mental health and, and educate? Because I mean, why isn't it happening? Um, what, why did you, could you create a position to to go out and sort of engineer your way into talking about a subject that people want to talk about, people have experienced? But why do you think we have to do that? Why, why do you think it's the way it is? Well, the main reason, you know, to, to, and you bring up a great question, great point, you know, the, the main reason it's necessary is because I just think as a society, we don't even realize how much mental illness is impacting all of us, um, especially in the workplace. You know, businesses just don't understand it. Uh, they, they, they don't know how much mental illness impacts morale, impacts culture, and, you know, and impacts their bottom line. Um, you know, they just don't realize it because nobody talks about it. Uh, you know, we, we just don't have those discussions, you know, in the workplace. And why, why do you, why do you think that is? Yeah. And in the second uh, part of that, uh, in answering your question is it's because of stigma. Um, you know, stigma drives it all. Uh, people just don't want to talk about it. You know, it's taboo. Uh, people are embarrassed. They're ashamed. And quite frankly, you know, Pete, when I, when I was going through it as a, as a kid, when, with the loss of my dad, I, I felt those experiences, you know, I, I was embarrassed um, with my dad's behavior, you know, his erratic, you know, manic type of behavior, you know, because he, he had bipolar disorder. So you'd have the typical ups and downs that come with bipolar disorder. And so, you know, I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I, I didn't know what was going on. Um, a lot of it is just ignorance. You know, if you don't know, if you're not educated, you don't understand it. And so there's, there's fear. Um, but, you know, once people start to realize that, first of all, 20%, one in five of the population will experience mental illness at some point in their lifetime. And that's, and that's over two times more than heart disease, diabetes, cancer combined. And so once people realize just how prevalent it is um, and just how many people are impacted, you know, people start to open up and they start to talk about it. Right. And, you, well, and you've talked before, well, when we've, when we've talked before, you, you mentioned the, the concept of the baseline and how, as it relates to physical health, I mean, there, there's a, we, we're talking about if someone has a knee surgery or somebody has, you know, it, it needs a pediatrician with the examples that we have incidental, we, we can tell stories and share contacts and, and we've got this baseline knowledge of, of, of what, that, um, what that is like and how you can proceed because people willingly talk about it. But on the mental health front, someone with anxiety or someone with a diagnosable you know, form of mental illness, we don't talk about that. So we just don't have a baseline. Can you share a little bit about you know, the, um, just the fact that the, the, how it hurts us not to have a baseline of, of mental illness comparing to the, the baseline we already have of, of physical illness? Yeah, so you, you've touched on it. Um, you know, if, if someone were to have a knee surgery, you know, what, what typically happens is that person has probably been dealing with it for a while. 
um, they've been pushing it back and because they, they don't want to go through the experience, but they'll start asking questions. They'll ask friends, they'll ask neighbors, you know, does anybody know of a good orthopedic surgeon? You know, what is that experience like? And then, you know, they'll, they'll, you know, who's a good physical therapist and, you know, they'll ask questions and what, especially if they know someone that's had a surgery, you know, what, what did, what, what was it like? What did you go through? What was the rehab process like? And so in our society, that's very acceptable. People talk about their physical issues all the time. Um, and we'll share information, we'll share doctors, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll share what those experiences are like. And so that baseline of knowledge on the physical health side has been established over the decades and decades of people having those conversations. You know, another example is um, when my wife and I uh, were pregnant with our first child. Of course, what did we do? We asked around, we, you know, who are some good pediatricians? You know, what are some good groups that, you know, because we wanted good care for our kids. And so we asked those questions and, of course, didn't think anything of it. But when it comes to mental health, mental illness, when someone has an issue, the, the last thing that they typically want to do is, is say, hey, everybody, um, I'm suffering from anxiety or depression or I'm hearing voices, I'm hallucinating or whatever their situation is. Does anybody know of a good psychiatrist? You know, people just don't have those conversations, um, especially in the workplace. Um, you know, I think in, in people don't tend to ask others how they're doing, uh, especially when they can tell that there's potentially something going on. And I think that's just because they're afraid of invading privacy. Um, you know, there's a perception that it, that's not allowed or acceptable in the workplace. Like we can't have those types of conversations um, because they're too personal. Uh, and, there, and there's just a lack of comfort in knowing how to have those conversations because we don't, we don't practice it. Well, that being, so, so that being said, so you, your work, so your, the work that you're doing in, is going into businesses um, to literally start the conversation. What, what does that look like? Because um, if, if, you, you mentioned you talk, you know, you, you, in the past, you talked to CEOs and, and business executives, and they all experienced it too, and, and they didn't have the words or the language or the process to be able to have this conversation. But you've created this position, and you've, you know, I know you've gone out and spoken with businesses. What, what does that look like when you're approached by a business um, to come in and start the conversation? Um, can you walk us through what that looks like? Yeah, so we have a program that we um, established with our partner, uh, Tier One Performance Solutions. Um, they're a consulting firm that's located in Northern Kentucky. Um, what happened was the backstory is that about five years ago, their uh, leadership, uh, their three partners, uh, recognized that all three of them were impacted by mental illness. And they also saw that there was several employees that were impacted. And so they, they wanted to do something about it. And so they called the Linner Center and said, you know, would you be willing to collaborate with us to help us start a conversation in our workplace? And with them being a consulting firm, you know, they, they provide, you know, business solutions. They work on efficiencies and software implementation and, and programming. And so they're really good at doing that. Of course, we provided the expertise in, in mental health care. And so we combined and we created this program called Start the Conversation. They implemented the program with their company and it was really successful. They got people to start talking. Um, it, it really helped um, solidify the culture that they already had in place. Um, people became more uh, open. Uh, people were uh, willing to be more vulnerable and and be more empathetic and then understanding. And so it was, it was uh, very successful. And so when I joined the center, uh, the first phone call I made was to Greg Harmeyer, who's their CEO. And I said, you know, Greg, I'd like to take the program and um, basically take the show on the road and, you know, see if we can implement this with other companies. And, uh, and he said, you know, fantastic. And, you know, he said, we'll partner with you to do that. And so that's what we've done. Uh, we have now worked with about half a dozen companies 
I have several more um, that are scheduled to start in April and May. Of course, with uh, what's going on in the world right now, we might have to push those back. But uh, I got another 25 companies that I'm, I've been talking to that are interested in signing up and working with us on the program. Um, the, uh, the program, I, I won't go through all the details, but just to give the listeners some basic idea of what it's all about. Um, it lasts about five weeks. Uh, we do a kickoff presentation, kind of introduce the topic uh, to the company. Um, we then do a pre-program survey. It's about 20 to 25 questions. Uh, we do the survey just to get a baseline of everyone's understanding and then also educate the employees at the same time. Because some of the questions are very thought provoking, it's gonna get that individual to think about perhaps their own mental health or the mental health of a loved one. And so um, for four consecutive weeks after that, um, the CEO or president, whoever that leader is for the company, they're going to send an email out twice a week to the staff guiding them through a process of learning about mental health. What we've done is we've created a website and on that website, it kind of houses all the content and all the materials and things that they're gonna work on. Um, on that website, we have some forms that the employee can use to help um, guide them through a conversation with perhaps a spouse or a child uh, or a parent. Uh, we also created a series of videos. Um, so for example, uh, we have uh, a video on depression. It's about two to four minutes. One of our experts from the Linner Center uh, provided um, uh, uh, the information and they uh, were videoed for this. And they talk about the signs and symptoms and you know the treatments. And so these employees at their own pace you know, they can watch the videos at home, they can watch them during the day, you know, they can read the content whenever it's convenient for them. They're going to learn about some basic 101 mental health stuff over the course of that month. At the end of the program, we do a final presentation. It's kind of a workshop where um, we review the materials that they should have been learning and uh, we give them an opportunity to ask questions and engage in conversation with each other. And then we wrap it up with a final uh, survey. And why we take the final survey is because we can compare the, um, the results with the pre-program survey so that company can see the gain that they've achieved um, by going through the program. Um, a couple of uh, questions I wanted to note on this podcast is that um, for the pre-program survey, one of the questions we ask is, have you been impacted by mental illness? And consistently with all the companies we've worked with, anywhere between 90 and 100% say yes. We've had two companies actually 100% responded with yes. And in the post-program results, one of the questions we ask is, have you had a conversation with someone for the first time about mental illness as a direct result of going through the program. And we've had companies as high as 82% say that they have had this conversation for the first time. So the program you know, achieves exactly what it's looking to achieve. We're trying to help people start the conversation you know, around mental health. Mm -hmm. and, that's, and that's through, you know, number one, I think one of the, the key points here is it's leader driven, you know, whether it be this president, the CEO, or somebody in that organization leads this process. And so they're creating that realm of, of safety and importance that this is a conversation that we want to have. And it's got five weeks of, of information to share. And I think that's, well, two, I mean, both of those statistics are pretty remarkable. I mean, 90 to 100% of people impacted. So you can just see how prevalent this is. Um, but then 82% of the people, at least in that one case, um, started to have a conversation, but, but an informed conversation because they've been educated, um, which might be just a higher level of comfort to, to, to be able to share something, or it's now a, an ability to recognize something that, well, I wasn't really sure what that is, but now I recognize it and I'm having this conversation. Um, I mean, it is, 
how, what, what type of bit, so business, has it been a variety of businesses that you've talked to? Has it been mostly professional services? I mean, what, what type of businesses have you been engaging with? I mean, I, cause I suspect this is universal anyway, but are there, a, a, is there a specific type that you've um, been working with so far? Yes. Uh, so far it's, it's been a variety. We, we worked with um, uh, the city of Lebanon, which is another um, suburb uh, north of uh, Cincinnati. Um, so we worked with a government um, uh, uh, type of entity. We worked with the um, Mason City Schools. Um, so we worked with you know, a school organization. Uh, we've worked with private uh, companies, uh, engineering companies, insurance companies. Um, another one was an IT consulting company. So basically, you know, small businesses, I would say uh, 150 people or less um, seems to work really well. And um, actually, you know, as we are developing this program, you know, it's kind of evolving as, as we go here. Um, you know, we're looking for ways to how do we scale this up? You know, so if there was a company with several thousands of employees, we want to figure out a way to, to scale it up to be able to work with them. But um, one of the key things that you brought up, Pete, is that one of the things that we emphasize for this program to make it be very successful is that the CEO, the president, whoever that leader is for that company, they're the ones that have to lead the program. Um, they have to believe in it. They have to want to do it. Um, they have to see it all the way through. Um, in fact, the way we pitch the program is we tell the company, um, it's your program that we're helping guide and facilitate you know, along the way. Um, that makes a huge difference, um, you know, for a couple of reasons, you know, it, it really helps with breaking down that stigma. You know, if you, if you, if the CEO is saying that this is important, you know, because if I come in there and I say, you know, mental health is important, you need to pay attention to this. Well, of course, I'm going to say that I, I'm a representative of a mental health care um, service provider. But if the leader says this, and they encourage their employees to have this conversation. It just comes across, obviously, there, there's just such a bigger impact. And so that's, that's one of the things we emphasize. And if the CEO, if, that, if the leadership, if they're not ready to have the program, then, then we, we, we tell them, you know, let's revisit this at a later time. But we really make sure that those companies are, are ready to do it. I know. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, that approach is, it, it's another direct example of how leadership drives culture. Yep, exactly. Um, and that if it happens outside of leadership, it will never be part of the culture. It will never be ingrained in, it won't have that level of importance, but when a leader takes it on, it has the ability to really change culture and, and, and drive new behaviors, which, which is, you know, in a, a sense that you've already seen in five weeks new behavior changing because people are um, just based on the awareness now having conversations. You mentioned briefly in the beginning, kind of the, kind of the business case. Uh, you started getting into this, there's good business reasons to do this. And, you know, certainly because of the need um, that so many people are impacted, almost everyone in some cases are impacted by um, mental illness. So, so there's sort of a, a good reason and maybe the right reason to do this program, but um, that being aside, I mean, what what's the business case um, for going through a program like this? Well, of course, being an engineer uh, and working with people like numbers my whole career, I, I I knew that I would need some sort of you know objective proof to be able to show people how mental health impacts the bottom line. I mean, I can I can talk about it, I can say that it impacts them, but if I have some numbers to show that. You know, that just seems to be, you know, obviously um, much more impactful. So one of the first phone calls I made when I started with the center is I reached out to a company called Haran. Um, they're an insurance broker uh, here in Cincinnati. And, you know, they, they've been around for quite some time, a few decades. And, of course, you know, they have access to all sorts of data, all sorts of um, uh, claims data, and they have teams that, that analyze it and they're always looking for trends and seeing, you know, where, where healthcare is headed. And so I, I had this conversation with them. I said, look, I need help. I need to show companies 
that they should be paying attention uh, to mental health because it impacts their bottom line. So what we did was we put together uh, an article uh, of our findings and what we found is that um, the average cost per employee in a given year who has a mental health claim in that year, it's about $10,000 and some change. The average cost per employee that does not have a mental health claim in that given year, it's about $4,000. And, you know, we, we, um, uh, put an article to, article together. It's actually it's it's out on the internet, and um, you know, we'll be sure to I can get the uh, link to you, uh, Pete, so you can share that with the listeners, uh, so they can read the article for themselves. But what that what that research showed us is that employees that are struggling with mental health, their their cost from a claim standpoint is over two and a half times more than someone that's not. And it's not just the employee itself. It's, it's anyone on their employee plan. So it could be, you know, somebody in their family, a spouse or a child and whoever's on their plan. So it's, it's just claims data. And if you, you know, that stat you mentioned that one in five um, people statistically will experience that. I mean, if you average families of five, I mean, I mean, you can see how the, on a, on a claims basis, I mean, who you're insuring, I mean, you'll probably represent that statistic at some point. Yeah, so if you know if you take a company that has a hundred total dependents that's being covered by the insurance, we know by you know data statistics that twenty percent of them, or twenty in this case, are gonna have a mental health claim of some point. And so just in our little example here, if you take twenty people times six thousand dollars on average that's higher, there's a hundred and twenty thousand uh, dollars just right there. And that doesn't include other direct costs such as uh, productivity that's lost through absenteeism and presenteeism. Presenteeism being where someone's there physically, but they're not there uh, mentally. Um, But there's two big reasons why that $10,000 cost exists. One, on average, people take about 10 years to first seek treatment for mental health symptoms, signs and symptoms. And obviously, just like any illness, the longer you wait to get treatment, the worst case your situation is going to be. And so what's, what's happening is someone waits to get treatment when they're in a crisis. You know, they're suicidal, they're manic, they're psychotic, you know, they're, they're in a tough situation. And so they end up in the hospital, um, you know, for a five, seven, nine day stay uh, overnight. They're, you know, basically admitted to the hospital. And so their claim ends up being $10,000 or more. Whereas if they would have just gotten help in the very beginning, you know, perhaps they could have just, um, you know, scheduled an outpatient appointment and got some help that way, their condition might not have ever gotten to the point where they needed inpatient care. And so people are waiting too long to get help. Uh, the second reason why those claims are higher for people that have a mental illness is because their physical health claims are also higher. So studies have shown that, you know, when someone has a mental illness, you know, they have a 40% higher chance of developing cancer, heart disease, or diabetes. And so their physical health um, becomes diminished. And so, you know, that the $10,000, not only does it include the mental health aspect, but it includes increased costs in their physical claims. Mm, so, I, I mean, there is, there's just so much um, in a business sense, a return on investment in, in productivity, in the health and wellness of your, your organization and the individuals in your organization by taking a proactive approach and, and being able to have those conversations and to be able to seek treatment. Um, I mean, I think it's the, it, and, and things that happen emotionally and mentally do manifest themselves physically. Um, it, it, and obviously it's seen in the actual, you know, actuarial claims data too. Um, I mean, that being said, I mean, so there's a lot of, you know, chronic stress and strain and pressure in the workplace today, particularly in professional services spaces um, with, you know, sometimes a lot recently, um, you know, more work than people, um, in the, you know, 
currently we're we're going through the COVID nineteen crisis, and there's you know different anxiety and stresses that are are put on us. But if we kind of put that aside, if we just think chronically over the last few years, there's a lot of stress put on us from the workplace perspective. Um, how how can or how have you seen from an organizational development perspective? How have you seen you know organizations deal with this? Um, if there is some you know some workplace stresses that are you know help trigger or do they trigger any and any underlying mental health um, um, illnesses or mental health susceptibilities? Well, as, as far as you know, just this daily stress that we all deal with to some level, um, you know. The, the, What's, what that can do is it can trigger a more severe mental illness. And, you know, what I, what I like to share with folks is that, you know, we're all on the mental health spectrum somewhere on, a given, on any given day. And what I mean by that is kind of, kind of visualize on, on one end of it, you have, you know, if someone was perfectly mentally well, you know, on the other end of it, they would be severely mentally ill. And we're all somewhere along that spectrum in any given day. We have our ups and downs. You know, we have our good days and bad days. You know, when the sun is shining, when we're on vacation, uh, when things are going well, you know, we, we kind of gravitate towards mental wellness. Um, when there's, you know, I don't know what it's like down by you, Pete, but greater Cincinnati, um, I'm looking forward to summer because we've had a lot of gray days, a lot of rain. And so, you know, we have those gloomy, you know, February, March days, um, you know, there's uh, other stressors in our life. Um, you know, there's lots of, it could be loss, you know, whether it's uh, like right now with the crisis, people have lost their jobs. Um, you know, people maybe are going through a divorce, they've, they've gone through a, a death or some sort of other loss. And that can kind of push us towards, you know, mental illness. And so what I tell people is just because you're not officially diagnosed with one of the 200 plus mental illnesses that are out there, that doesn't mean that you're as mentally well as you can be. I mean, it's something that you have to work on day to day, just like physical health. You know, physical health, you know, we need to work out, we need to go to the gym, we need to be active, we need to eat healthy on a, on a day to day basis. It's the same thing that needs to be done on, on the mental health side. Um, and so that, that's what I tell people is that it's, it's something that we have to manage, you know, every day. Um, so if we, I, I mean, I love that analogy of the, or thinking of things on the spectrum. Um, you know, the, the one end things are going real well, mentally well, and the other end being mentally ill with sort of probably bracketed in that, like you mentioned, the, the diagnosable illnesses, but you know, any because of any event, either acute or a chronic event, we're sliding in amongst that spectrum. But I mean, I guess maybe a better way to ask my question is, so from a working out from a mental health perspective, if we think of individually um, in, in one way, what, what are some of the things that you think people can do to just enhance their mental health? Well, first of all, I would start with education. Um, you know, people need to take ownership of, of their own well-being in general. Um, there is so much, obviously, in, in this day and age, you know, we're in the information era. Um, there, there's so much information out there more than ever before. Um, you know, just like, for example, uh, myself personally, um, I'm very proactive on LinkedIn. I'm constantly... Um, posting articles on mental health, mental health in the workplace, you know, self-care, et cetera. Um, the, the Linder Center, uh, we have a, a, literally a whole library worth of information on our website. We have articles, we have um, videos, we have, we have books that we list and we reference. Um, there's all sorts of, of things out there that someone can educate themselves. So that's, that's the first thing I would say is, is someone needs to take ownership, educate themselves, find out what's out there. Second thing is that I would pick a couple of things. You know, it, it doesn't have to be 10. It can be a couple of things 
that you practice on a regular basis. Um, for example, some people really like meditation. Um, they, that really helps them with their focus, their concentration. It really allows them to decompress. Um, some people like, you know, to take a walk, you know, go to, go to a local park, take that half an hour and just, and, and totally get away and, and, and walk. You know, it doesn't have to be anything complex. Um, and what I would encourage the listeners to do is figure it out for yourself. You know, everybody's different. And, and so try some different things, research some different things, figure out what are good ways for, some, for you to you know, reduce your stress and come to a better state of mind mentally. So um, I think that's super helpful. Thank you for, for sharing that because it's, it's sometimes it, it, it's the, um, it's the simple things that we forget about in our busyness and in the hustle. Um, if we think about sort of working out from a mental health perspective, if I think organizationally um, and in the AEC space, I mean, we're a high performance space. Um, there's a lot of demands put on us. There's the continuous do more with less, you know, further serve our clients and all that in, in the, in the projects, you know, just tighter deadlines, tighter budgets. There's just, just this pressure. And there's sometimes there's a fine line between, you know, um, so, you know, performing in that, you know, high demand environment consistently and maybe shifting into a toxic work, work environment, either, you know, chronically or acutely. If I'm a leader of an organization, I mean, what, what's some, what are some of the things that you think I could do organizationally um, or have you seen done or, 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 or researched that organizations are doing just so that we don't, we're high performance, but we take care of our people and we don't want to cross the line into a toxic work environment? So one of the things that, you know, I'll talk about a lot with companies is, is accommodations. You know, how, how do you accommodate an individual um, so that uh, they can perform at their best, but yet it doesn't cause too much of a burden financially uh, on, on the company's bottom line, or it doesn't cause too much, you know, tension or, um, you know, impact between employee to employee. Um, but but you look at what, look what's happening right now in our society with people working from home. Um, you know, companies that never thought that they could have employees work at home because it would never work or you just can't do it or, you know, employees, you know, whatever, just can't be trusted or, or what have you. And right now this country has figured out a way to continue to, you know, provide services, uh, get work done, um, you know, and work remotely and have those flexible work schedules where people are working from home, they're working, um, during the day when it's, it's best for them. Because somebody that has a mental illness, um, a lot of times time of day makes a huge difference. Um, maybe mornings just do not, they're not as focused, they're, they can't concentrate, or maybe it's in the afternoon, whatever the case is, it, it's, it's working with that individual to figure out how, how can we work with them so that they can still be productive, they can still feel that they're contributing um, but yet it doesn't put too much of a burden on the company as far as, you know, expenses and, and things that have to be purchased or what have you to make it work. So it's really my, my um, uh, advice would be for leaders. Um, you know, I, I spent 16 years in, in that high stress environment with the AEC industry. So I, I get what you're, where you're coming from. Um, but what I, my advice for those leaders would be to be empathetic, be understanding, um, you know, when, especially in that industry where you have a bunch of problem solvers, you know, work through um, figuring out how can we still make this work? Uh, and I think companies will be surprised uh, when they really start to think about it and really start to work through it, that it can be done. So that's uh I guess that, that's the biggest thing. I would encourage those leaders to be empathetic, be understanding, and uh, listen to their employees. Which is, you know, a great trait to have in leadership in general. But I guess, you know, it, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, some of the accommodation could be temporary too. It, it could be as we're working through an accrue, a, a, acute loss or some trauma or, you know, um, after 
a decade of something, you know, we need an accommodation to be able to have some restoration or be able to sort of get through because I've lost, I'm dealing with older parents or I, I've lost some, I mean, this, that awareness and the relationship enough to say, let's provide some accommodation and it doesn't have to necessarily be forever. Um, and so is that, would that be an accurate thought? Yeah, very true. I mean, um, and with and with the AEC industry, especially, you know, I remember, you know, you kind of have your your cycles, your ups and downs. You know, the you're at the early stage of a project, things are kind of slower. You're you're getting into schematics and you know early design and, and that sort of thing, and then things start to ramp up and things get crazy during um, when when construction starts, uh, etc. And so having that flexibility in those times where things are most stressful could help that employee, you know, get through that much easier. Um, and it, but, but like you said, it doesn't have to be something that would be continuous. It could be during those high stress. Right. And then, um, so, and, and, the, and it, it, I guess going back to the beginning of the conversation, if a leader wants to start this conversation and have this education, we're making ourselves more available to understand if temporary or more longer term accommodations need to be made in order to, to help the individual and to, you know, sustain as much performance as we can. But on the flip side, if, if we don't start the conversation, I mean, we still have some of those, those business realities that might come in with absenteeism, presenteeism, um, loss of, you know, sort of an erosion of culture because performance slips and, and unreliability because we're, we're dealing with stuff on the side. So it's still going to exist. Um, but if we have the conversation, we're able to bring that into light and be able to make the accommodations and, and have the safety of somebody is thinking about me and caring about me. And ultimately, I think performance probably improves in morale and culture and all that. Um, you know, that being said, if, if, if I'm a leader and I'm listening and saying, you know what, I, I want to start the conversation too. And, and you mentioned, you know, um, thinking about ways and working on how to scale this. Um, what, what plans do you have um, to be able to help leaders who say, I, I want that, I, I want to be able to start that conversation to be able to um, provide this resource and, and um, sort of have the, the dialogue with mental illness and, and be able to be, you know, mentally strong um, and well organization? Well, the, the big goal, I guess, on the, on the you know, 30,000 foot level is that businesses across the country would start recognizing, you know, how much mental illness is impacting their employees uh, and their bottom line. And so they're, they're being very proactive in how they're addressing it. You know, they're, they're looking at their benefits. They're having those conversations with their insurance broker. Um, they're, they're asking about, you know, how, different wellness programs. Um, they're, they're asking, how, how can I educate my employees in the mental health field um, so that uh, we start to knock down that stigma? We start to help them, provide them the tools in order for them to have those conversations. And so that's, that's what I would recommend. And then kind of secondly with that, um, I, I would encourage those leaders um, to be kind of the, I guess, the, the chief reminding officer as far as their benefits and as far as encourage their employees to get help. Um, a lot of employers have programs like, a, like an EAP, Employee Assistance Program. And you know, a lot of times those come with an insurance plan, and those are great. You know, those those are um, those are a great way for an employee to go get help. Um, a lot of times they're included within the benefits package, um, and they're free, you know they're essentially kind of free for that employee. But the the problem right now is those EAP programs are only talked about once a year. You know, when a company goes through their annual renewals, you know, they might spend an hour or two, um, you know, they might have their broker come in and talk to the employees about these are the benefits we have this year. These are the changes, et cetera. Oh, by the way, you have this EAP program. If you ever need it, use it. And then they don't talk about it again for the rest of the year. And so I would encourage those CEOs, presidents, HR leaders to constantly be reminding their employees of the benefits that they have, encouraging them to get help when they need it. 
and kind of make it a regular conversation throughout the year. Well, and then uh, having that, you know, oh, by the way comment, I mean, that, that might have been just sort of a way to say it, but I, I don't think that's probably too different from just the way we've historically thought about mental um, illness and wellness. But if it's, oh, by the way, if you need it, it's there. That doesn't bring it into the everyday culture. An important part of our culture is, is your mental wellness and it is an important part of this because I mean, I've seen studies before um, where people want to be able to talk about, you know, mental wellness in the workplace and because they're experiencing, and obviously your statistics are showing people are experiencing, they want to do it. I mean, people bring their whole selves to work today. Um, It is work-life integration and what affects us outside of work truly affects us inside, maybe not hourly, but certainly weekly um, you know, you, you can probably compartmentalize for an hour, for a day. Um, but by the end of the week, you, you, life seems to silt back in again. Um, and so I think it's there. And by it, just what you said, I mean, if it's always reminded of, it's there in the empathy of leadership, talking about it, um, and certainly bringing um, this to a whole new level with a start the conversation program, not just we're going to have this um, while you're also trying to swallow why our insurance rates are going up 10% and your deductible went up a thousand bucks and you know, all that other stuff that we talk about once a year too, um, it will, will give more, more meaning to it and, um, and, and our ability to, um, to be able to make a real difference. As we, as we close, I mean, is there anything else that um, you'd like to share that we haven't talked about as it relates to, you know, starting the conversation and talking about the importance of um, ha- having more conversations about um, mental illness and, and wellness in the workplace? Yeah, if, there's, there's a few things. Um, you know, I talked earlier that uh, people wait about 10 years on average to finally get treatment for their mental illness. Another part of that is 50% of people that have a mental illness never get treatment at all. So if you look at our country, that means that there's about 30 million people out there that never get treatment for their mental illness. Um, and so I would encourage the leaders out there to you know, ha- have, um, have these conversations with your staff, encourage them to, you know, to get help, because the bottom line is the sooner you get treatment, the better your outcome. Um, mental illness, it's a brain-based disease. You know, it's genetically linked. You know, knowing your family's history is so important. Um, it's, no, it's no different than a physical illness, uh, such as heart disease. So, you know, like in my family, um, my, one of my grandfathers uh, passed from a massive heart attack. And um, my parents, you know, they have high cholesterol. So of course I have high cholesterol. And so I have to um, take care of myself. I have to exercise, I have to eat healthy. Mental illness is the same way. Um, If there's a history there, knowing this, educating yourself is gonna put you in the best position so that if you have someone in your uh, family that experiences some of these signs and symptoms, you'll be ready to treat them and you'll be in the best position to support them. And then lastly, I just wanted to say that, you know, there's been more advancement in the understanding and treatment of mental illness in the last 30 years, more than any other field of medicine. Um, You know, people have a great chance to get well, but they need to get treatment and they need to be supported. Um, You know, there's this myth, I think sometimes that mental illness has to be like terminal or chronic or uh, debilitating. Um, but it doesn't, you know, if, if someone gets treatment, someone gets support, you know, they get the right medication, et cetera, you know, they can live a fulfilling life and, and, and be happy and, um, you know, be able to do the things that they want to do and, and have, and have, um, you know, very, uh, fulfilling, satisfying life. Hmm. Well, thank, thank you for that. How, how can, listeners get in touch with you to learn more about um, what you're doing and the Linder Center? Well, I, I'm more than happy uh, for individuals to reach out to me. I mean, that's, that's my job. I'm on, I want to help people. Um, you know, if someone has a question, how do I start something in my office, that sort of thing. Um, they're more than, um, I'm more than happy to take uh, those um, inquiries. Um, 
my email, it's just mike.glenn at lindercenter.org. Um, I mentioned it earlier. I'm very proactive on, um, on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm always posting articles, that sort of thing. Um, so if someone wants to reach out to me via LinkedIn, we can connect that way. Um, of course, the Linder Center's website, um, uh, we have this, all sorts of information, uh, and it's just lindercenterofhope.org. Uh, so please check that out. Um, also, I mentioned earlier the article um, that we did with Haran. Um, if someone wants to check that out, we'll uh, include that uh, link in the, in the notes. And then the last thing that I would encourage people to check out is that the Cincinnati Business Courier and the Linder Center partnered about a, year and a, about a year ago, and we created a digital hub for mental health. It's called Healthy Minds, Healthy Workplace. Um, on that website, there's about a dozen articles that are specific on how mental health impacts businesses. So um, I, I would check that out, read those articles, share those uh, to your staff members, um, and you know, use that as, a, as another uh, reference and resource. And mm -hmm. I, I can give you that link as well, Pete, that, uh, so that oh, listeners okay. can get that. And I'll make sure that's in the show notes. One, one other thing I just, I guess I wanted to point out too, is that you mentioned that the, you know, the, the, the center is receiving patients and, and, and serving people from around the, the country and even around the world. But this program in particular, Start the Conversation, that's been trailblazing. And you've had people who are um, being able to recognize the importance of talking about mental illness and seeking greater mental wellness in their workplaces. They want to get in on this, this emerging topic, start those conversations. And so they've been, as they've been starting it, they've been coming to you because mm -hmm. you've been trailblazing this in just a short time. Um, could you just comment on that and just, just how sort of ground zero your work has been and, and, you know, how people are reaching out to you as they're trying to develop their programs? Yeah, it's, it's been pretty incredible. You know, we've only been working on this for a little over a year and the amount of uh, just the, just the response I'm getting uh, locally, regionally, and nationally has been incredible. Uh, for example, I mean, look at right now, you reached out to me and we're having this conversation. Uh, we also, about two, three months ago, I, I had a phone call conversation with somebody out of Kansas City. Uh, the reason why is because the Kansas City uh, Chamber was getting um, questions from their members on how to get support uh, for, for mental health in the uh, workplace, you know, education, that sort of thing. And so they um, uh, consulted uh, with this individual uh, in, in Kansas City and she ended up doing some research. She saw the Start the Conversation. Uh, she found it on the internet. And, um, and so she ended up contacting us and I ended up having a conversation about it with her. So we're already getting national attention, um, which is, it's exciting. Uh, this, what, what I see happening, um, you know, 100, let's just say 100 years ago or 100 years from now, people are going to look at this time period, the next, I would say next 10 to 20 years is kind of the, the you know, the, the critical time in our, in, our, in our world, our country, where we're, we're changing our viewpoint on mental health. It's kind of like what cancer went through the last 10, 20 years, you know, Everywhere you look, there's there's people talking about cancer. There's there's um, 5K races raising money for cancer awareness. You know, Major League Baseball, the NFL. You know, they wear pink. You know, to help with breast cancer awareness. You know, that was we didn't have any of that 10, 20 years ago, and now we do. I see that happening with mental health. So it's just it's a really, in in my opinion, it's a, it's a very exciting time. Um, to see the changes, it, it's happening. And uh, I'm just hoping within, you know, my career, you know, the next 20 years or so, I, I'm, I get to be part of that. I get to see that change. And so it's you know, very exciting. Mm. So, I mean, le leaders, I mean, if you want to um, improve your workplace and the, your overall wellness within the workplace, and, and at, at this point, differentiate yourself on that basis, reach out to Mike. 
I mean, th this, this is something that um, the, the time is now to talk about it because th there is an appetite for it and an obvious need. And so, Mike, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for, you know, um, being responsive to for, for what, well, for what you're posting on the, on LinkedIn, because that attracted me to you and then you're being responsive and, you know, coming on the web on the podcast to, to, to share this. Uh, this has been great. Um, you know, Pete, I really appreciate you reaching out, uh, taking interest. Um, you know, it, it, it takes individuals like you that um, are, are being leaders in, in recognizing that um, we, we have a huge opportunity here as a society to really make, make things happen with mental health. And, and what's so great about it, it's, it's going to impact so many people. Um, and, you know, and it's going to change lives and it's going to reduce suffering and, and, and save lives. And so I thank you for this opportunity. Mm. Well, you're welcome. And, and it ties right in with, with the theme of, of our industry, engineers and architects and folks in construction. I mean, that we do serve society. And in this case, serve society in another way, you know, through our employees and, and tackling this issue and our employees, you know, all their connections too. Um, so I think it's just another way that our industry can serve others um, by tackling this issue. So again, thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing. Yeah, uh, I appreciate it. One other point I just thought of that will really strike home for our AEC listeners is that construction is the number one industry for suicide rate. And engineering and um, architects, it's been in the top five or six as well. So the, the AEC industry has been hit pretty hard, um, you know, with mental illness and suicide. And so, again, I can't emphasize enough. I encourage those leaders out there to take ownership of this, you know, help start those conversations and encourage those employees to get help when they need it. Mm. Well, that's real. Um, that's real. And I think that's probably a, a good way to end the podcast and that there's, there's a real need out there. Um, and, and it's not just a nice idea. Um, it is ways that we, we can really, um, impact people and save their life um, by having this conversation. So again, thank you, Mike. Thank you. Take care. Well, that's a wrap. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to and rate this podcast on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to the show from. There are links on my website and in the show notes to do so. And please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. It really helps to get us established. And I truly appreciate that. It also helps get the word out so that together we can collectively grow and positively impact the lives of others, both inside and beyond our organizations. So thank you. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of AEC Leadership Today. If you want to stay relevant and effective and take your growth and prosperity to new levels, it's time to take action. To learn more about how Pete can help take you and your firm to the next level, visit www.actionsprove.com. That's www.actionsprove.com. See you next time on the AEC Leadership Today podcast.